This is the preaching podcast from Keystone Church and Pastor Josh Cox. To find out more about Keystone, visit keystonerdu.church. We hope you enjoy today's message. Uh, We are in a series in the book of Psalms this summer called A Soundtrack for Life. And we're not going in order, obviously, since we're at 142 this morning. Uh, We're not going in order. Um, But we are selecting psalms and bringing them to you individually each week. And today is Psalm 142. So if you have your Bibles, you can go ahead and turn there. If you don't have your Bibles, um, then uh, we'll be on the screens. The title of today's message is Singing Songs in Caves. Singing songs in caves. You know why? Because that's literally what this was. It was a song that was sung in a cave. I don't know about you, but could you imagine this morning if we were in a cave? I I think about it. I let my mind kind of wander as I was preparing. And what if we were in a cave this morning and the acoustics are really, really good? You know, because there's rock all around and melody began singing, and I'm not going to try, but she began singing Oceans, and we all sang together in a cave, just the richness of the sound. If you wanted it to sound good, you would have me mouthing the words and not singing the words. Can you imagine a group of local church believers in a cave with great acoustics singing, how marvelous, how wonderful is my Savior's love for me? Psalm 142 is a little different than that, but nonetheless, a psalm, a song was penned from the hand of David while he was in a cave. Let's begin reading in verse 1. We're going to read the entire psalm. It's a short psalm. Psalm 142, verse 1 begins, I cry out to the Lord with my voice. With my voice to the Lord, I make my supplication. I pour out my complaint before him. I declare before him my trouble. When my spirit was overwhelmed within me, then you knew my path. In the way in which I walk, they have secretly set a snare for me. Look on my right hand and see, for there is no one who acknowledges me. Refuge has failed me. No one cares for my soul. I cried out to you, O Lord, and said, You are my refuge, my portion in the land of the living. Attend to my cry, for I am, but for, I'm sorry, attend to my cry, for I am brought very low. Deliver me from my persecutors, for they are stronger than I. Bring my soul out of prison, that I may praise your name. The righteous shall surround me, for you shall deal bountifully with me. Heavenly Father, speak through your word today. God, I pray that we would be a church that's centered on your word. God, not centered on my opinion, not centered on what I want to teach and what I want to preach, but centered upon your word and what you have for us today. God, we love you. We thank you for loving us. It's in your precious and holy name we pray this morning. Amen. Amen. This psalm... The setting for this psalm is that David was in hiding. He was running from King Saul. 
this, I don't know if your Bible says this, a, I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing it right, a mashil, M-A-S-C-H-I-L. It's what this psalm is called. And depending on who you read after and who you study after, it's either a song with a difficult melody, kind of a difficult song to sing, um, or it was a psalm full of wisdom for difficult times. Either way, this psalm was written with difficulty in mind, whether it was the actual performance of the song, the melody of the song, or if it was the meaning behind the psalm, this was a difficult psalm. It was written from a cave, a dark place, a lonely place. Many believe that David was in in Gedi Gedi when he penned this, but it's it's possible that he could have also not been there and been in Adullam. Either way, we're, we are confident that the psalm was written during David's being pursued heavily by King Saul. If you'd like to find that in your Old Testament Bible, 1 Samuel chapter 18 through 29, there's about 11, 12 chapters that kind of walk you through how that started and how that took place. You see, David had found favor in the sight of the people. If you remember, he killed uh, the giant Goliath and the, all the people were yelling out and singing to David that Saul has slain his thousands, but David his tens of thousands. And Saul began to get jealous and his anger led him on a vicious attack, seeking to kill David. He tried on several occasions. David flees into multiple cities and into the countryside and he avoids Saul on multiple occasions. And somewhere on that countryside, we find David in a cave. Somewhere on that countryside, being pursued by Saul, we find David in a cave. I want us to see and notice some elements of this psalm that David wrote as he pleads for relief. I want us to see, first of all, this morning, I want, to see, I want us to see the desperation in his voice. The desperation in David's voice. Look at verses 1 and 2. I cry out to the Lord with my voice. With my voice to the Lord, I make my supplication. I pour out my complaint before him. I declare before him my trouble. Notice these, these words in these first two verses. He cries out. He, he, he pleads with supplication. He literally begging for God's grace and favor. He pours out his heart here. He declares trouble here. His desperation. This was a time of desperation for David. Keep in mind, his life was literally on the line. This was a time of desperation because David did not know Who was going to come in front of that cave? You see, David did not know if the next noise that he heard outside of that cave was going to be an animal that just passed by or if it was going to be Saul and all of his soldiers. David didn't know. This was a desperate time for David. And you, you sense the desperation in David's voice as he cries out to God, as he pours out his heart to God. David is literally begging God, crying out to him during this time of trouble. He's begging him for safety. He's begging him to spare 
his life. He's begging him to show him grace and mercy and favor during this difficult season of life. And this morning, can I ask you, when is the last time that you got to a point in your spiritual life where you begged God for something? Where you begged God for something? Where you didn't just put it on your prayer list and whenever you thought about it, you prayed about it. But you spent a season dedicated, focused, desperately, desperately begging God for something in your life. Where there was, where there was some skin in the game. Where it wasn't just, oh, be with me today as I go to work, help me to be a good Christian, be with my kids and my husband or wife, and just give us all a great day today. That's fine. I hope you have a great day today. But when is the last time that there was something in need in your life that you desperately begged God for? Begged. You know, like my daughters beg for fill in the blank. Um, like my, like your kids beg. I don't believe, I obviously don't believe the sovereignty of God um, is, is something that we just sway with our voice. But I do as a father, I do understand the punch that a begging child packs. How many of you experienced that punch before? So it's like right in your gut. Oh, that punch. When's the last time you had something, a need, something in your life that you begged God? What does that look like? That looks like crying out to him. That looks like calling out to God in desperation. That looks like focusing and spending some time on the specifics of what your situation is. Desperately begging God to intervene in your life. You say, Josh, I want you to pray for my, my sister. She's away from the Lord. Okay, I will. Can I ask you, have you begged God to bring your sister back to the Lord? Josh, would you, would you just think about our, my adult children? My adult children are just running far from God and they've kind of left the faith. And Okay, have you, have you begged God with desperation in your voice? Cried out, begged for grace and mercy in their life. This morning, we need to, we need to not be so shallow and we need to understand that we want, need to go deeper in a state of desperation in times in our lives. There needs to be things that happen that bring us to a place in our life where we say, God, if you don't come through, then it is not going to happen. And we need to become desperate. The desperation in David's voice, but that, that's not all that we see here uh, in this passage. Secondly, I want us to see this, the isolation of his spirit, the isolation of his spirit. Look at verse 3. He says, When my spirit was overwhelmed within me. Look at verse 4. Look on my right hand and see, for there is no one who acknowledges me. Refuge has failed me. No one cares for my soul. Rightfully so. I think it's fair to say David was at a very low 
point in his life. If you think about it, he was obviously physically in danger. But not only was he physically in danger, the leader of his country, the king of his his country, wants to kill him. The leader of his country wants him dead. And not only was he like a political figure, leader of his country that wanted to kill him, this was also his best friend's father that wanted to kill him. If you think about your best friend growing up, I probably had a couple best friends whose dads wanted to kill me at some point in time, but hey, that was just for me being dumb. Uh, But uh, think about that. This was a extremely low time in David's life. I would say second only to post Bathsheba in David's life. And David is in physical danger, but David is also in emotional danger. David is also in spiritual danger. David is very, very vulnerable mentally. David tells us in verse 4 that he felt as if no one cared. No one cared. Can I ask you this morning, can we be honest in here? It's Sunday. If there's a day of the week to be honest, it's Sunday. Have you ever felt that way? You ever felt that way? No one cares. I'm going through whatever I'm going through, and no one cares. I go to work, and everybody else is just moving right along with their day. I go to my family, and everybody else seems to be doing just fine. No one cares about me and what is going on in my life. And while we live in a world that we're around people 24-7, and maybe you're around people at work and you're around people at home, you feel so alone on the inside. You feel so isolated on the inside. 24-7, people are around you, there's noise. But inside of you, you have bought into the culture, the trend of isolationism. And you don't even realize the toll it is taking on your spirits. You see, the more our culture revolves around devices, the more our culture revolves around technology, the more you see this, more than you see this. Y'all should come up here and preach one Sunday. Y'all see it. I'm just kidding. All right. I know all of y'all dudes' bald spots. All right. I got you. I know who needs to be hitting that Rogaine, who doesn't, right? No, I'm just kidding. You know what, though? If we're not careful, this right here. Oh, we're communicating with somebody somewhere else, but we're isolated. We have isolated ourselves. And we are raising a generation of young people that, that struggle looking an adult in the eye and saying, yes, sir, and yes, ma'am, and thank you, and please, and carrying on a conversation with an adult because we have allowed our children to isolate themselves so much to where they might be a social butterfly, but they're not being a physical social butterfly. They're being a digital social butterfly, and there is a world of difference. You see, we cannot become isolated We cannot allow ourselves to become isolated. Times get bad, and if we're not careful, we retreat into isolation. Did you know that every time a lion pride hunts together, so a a school of pride, a team of lions hunt together, it's like an organized operation. Here's what they don't do. They do not test their prey 
for weaknesses like other predators do. Okay, they don't, have, they don't go in and like figure out they're not strategic that way. They're strategic in this way. The only weakness that this lion pride is looking for is isolation. If they can remove a single animal from its herd, then lunch, is, lunch comes easy for them. Even if the animal that they are hunting is much larger or faster than the lion pride themselves. If they can isolate an animal away from its pack, away from its herd, then they can kill that animal and eat that animal. Can I, can I say this? I want us to understand uh, this this morning, that we are all made weak and vulnerable by isolation. I want us to understand this point. We are all made weak and vulnerable by isolation. And why is it, Christian, that when we begin struggling in our spiritual lives and when the devil starts uh, throwing those darts at us, why is it that we retreat into isolation, away from the people who love us the most, away from our local church family, away from our connect group, away from the team that we serve with, away from our families, away from the friends that love us. Why, when we are in a season of struggle, why do we choose to isolate? When that really needs to be the time that we integrate. That needs to be the time instead of leaning out of our local church that we lean in to our local church. That needs to be the time instead of removing ourselves from the text messages with friends, we need to in, engage more in those messages with friends, encouraging messages. That means that instead of declining the lunch invite, we need to seek out the lunch invite and give the lunch invite. Isolation is a dangerous place to be. Hey, David's in a dangerous place. You know why? His spirit is all messed up. He is alone. He's scared. And he doesn't know what's going to happen next. And let me just say this. If you isolate yourself physically, spiritually, beware. Beware. Because the lion pride needs only to isolate its prey from the herd. And it's over. It's a done deal. It's a done deal. We are all made weak and vulnerable by isolation. We try, and I believe we're successful for the most part of this, we try to be a church that says nothing is off limits. We try from the top down to say, to say any question that you have, anything that you are going through, you cannot surprise us or shock us by coming to us with anything that's going on in your life. We are here for you. We love you unconditionally. We accept you just the way you are because God does. You don't have to, you don't have to change clothes in the parking lot before you walk in here. You don't have to cover up the tattoos or, or, or take your earrings out or cover up. You don't have to do that here. Okay? But can I just say this? We've tried to create that environment. So please don't find yourself pulling away from that environment. When I believe we've made it so easy for you to lean in during tough times. I believe we've made it easy for you to find help during tough times. You see, David had a desperation in his voice, but his spirit, it was isolated. His spirit, verse 3 said, was overwhelmed within him take care of of the inside please take care of the inside 
Take care of your spiritual self. Take care of your emotional self. Take care of your mental health. And by the way, the answer is not always read your Bible and pray more. Take care of your health, your internal health, whether that be through medical doctors or whether that be spiritually speaking, or most of the time it's a combination of both. Take care of yourself. Do not isolate yourself. Do not become, as David became, overwhelmed in his spirit. So we see his desperation, we see his spirit that was isolated. But thirdly, this morning, the acknowledgement of the enemy. The acknowledgement of the enemy. Look at verse 3. When my spirit was overwhelmed within me, then you knew my path. In the way in which I walk, they have secretly set a snare for me. The enemy. Look at verse 6. Attend to my cry, for I am brought very low. Deliver me from my persecutors. For they are stronger than I. See, David knew who he was fighting. In this literal sense, if we interpret the Bible the way we ought to first, that is, what did this mean at that time? David knew his enemy was King Saul and all of Saul's men. David recognized his enemy. David knew his enemy. And we must understand that David knew who he was looking for. As he looked out in that cave, he probably knew what Saul's men would be wearing. He probably knew the surroundings that would would come with Saul's men showing up. And so David was well aware of his, uh, his, his enemy. Saul was his enemy. And while David had a couple of different opportunities to kill Saul during all this, he ended up showing mercy on him. David still knew who his enemy was. And let me say this as we apply that to our lives today in our church, in our our personal lives, we must recognize who our enemy is. We mentioned that lion in the previous point, how a lion just needs to isolate. Look at what the Bible says in 1 Peter chapter 5. Be sober, be be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. He walks around like a lion that's hungry. He walks around like a lion that's just waiting for you to be, get by yourself. He walks around like a lion that just waits for you to get to that spiritual point where you will isolate yourself. And then the enemy, the enemy comes. He comes, look at verse uh, Ephesians chapter 6, verses 11 and 12. Ephesians chapter 6, we were just in it a few months ago. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil, your enemy. Look at verse 12. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness in this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. You see, we have an enemy today. And your enemy isn't your mama or your daddy that didn't raise you right. And your enemy is not your spouse or your ex-spouse. Your enemy is not your children, uh, good kids and bad kids. Your enemy is not your extended family. Your enemy is not your boss. Your enemy is not some friendship that you used to have. Your enemy this morning is the devil. He is your enemy this morning. David knew his enemy and David recognized his enemy, physically speaking, was Saul. We need to recognize our enemy and know and call him for what he is. He is the devil. He is the father of lies. He is a deceiver. He hates everything that is godly and righteous. And we might call it whatever we want to call it. Oh, we're just having a series of bad luck, a series of unfortunate events. Uh, We're just going through a tough time. I just made some bad decisions. 
Maybe we say, I've just been on the struggle bus recently. Anybody ever been on a struggle bus? It's free to get on, but it costs a lot to get off of that thing. I'm telling you. We call it a lot of different things, but can we be honest? Those are just masks for the fact that the devil's fighting us. Those are just easier ways to say I'm experiencing spiritual warfare in my life. That the enemy, the devil, is trying to uh, push me down. And the, the enemy, the devil, is trying to devour me. He's trying to isolate me. He's trying to get to my spirit. The devil is. And yet he may be using a lot of different tools. And a lot of different people. And a lot of different means in your life. But we must understand who our real enemy is. And that real enemy is not the person that you live with. The real enemy is, is the devil himself. Hey, the enemy is not the person that you blame your problems on. The enemy is the devil himself. We must recognize our enemy. We must know our enemy. We must fight against our enemy. Lastly, this morning, I want us to see this. First, we've seen the desperation in his voice. We saw the isolation of his Spirit, David, in the cave here, we see the acknowledgement of this enemy. But lastly, I want us to see the declaration of victory. The declaration of victory. Look at verse 3. When my spirit was overwhelmed within me, then you knew my path. Look at, down in verse 5. I cried out to you, O Lord. I said, you are my refuge, my portion in the land of the living. Attend to my cry, for I am brought very low. Deliver me from my persecutors, for they are stronger than I. Bring my soul out of prison, that I may praise your name. The righteous shall surround me, for you shall deal bountifully with me. Notice that last phrase. You shall deal bountifully with me. He hadn't yet. Right? God, you're going to deal bountifully with me. As I still sit here in the cave, as Saul is still trying to kill me, as my circumstances have not changed. You see, David declared victory in advance. And I'm, please don't misconstrue what I'm saying here today. I am not a name it and claim it Christian. I am not one of those guys that say, man, if you got debt, you got $30,000 of debt, you come down this morning and you claim that debt to be removed off of your credit in Jesus' name. And tomorrow morning, when you check creditkarma.com, that $30,000 is gone and Jesus has given... I'm not one of those people. Usually that's followed with, and you can receive my guide to have this done in your life for just $99. Pay me and I'll get you taken care of. I'm not a name it and claim it person, but I am a person of faith. Hey, listen, I'm not a, I'm not a spooky person, but I am a person that believes in the Holy Spirit of God. So, so here's what David did. Let's just look at what he did. David anticipated God coming through. David showed his faith before God showed his action. David showed his faith before God showed his action. And by the way, if you wait until after God shows his action to show your faith, then that is not faith. Faith is believing in what we have not yet seen. And we must declare, uh, we must proclaim God's victory in our life 
before the action. David was praising God in advance for what he was going to do. In fact, in the last uh, three weeks, Tim has been teaching and leading our discussion in our connect groups um, about different words in the Bible that, that have to do with worship and what they truly mean and why, why do we worship? Why do we stand here on Sunday morning? Why do we raise our hands in worship? Why do, we, why do we sing quietly in worship? Why do we sing loudly in worship? Why would we bow in worship? And one of the words that he uses, I'm not going to try to steal his thunder and I've not studied uh, it like he has, but one of the words that he spoke of speaks to this very thing of praising God and having faith for what is to come in advance. I always say that, God, when I'm praying for something, I always say in my prayer, God, we thank you and we praise you for what you're going to do. We praise you for what you're going to do. We praise you for what you've done and we praise you for what you're going to do. You see, David was isolated David was in a tough time. David was at a time where literally, physically, his life was about to be taken. He had no guarantee that Saul was not going to walk in the mouth of that cave and kill him. He had not yet read the Bible because he was writing it. Okay, let's get this straight. He didn't know what we know. And David has faith in what God is going to do. Let me ask you this morning, are you that isolated Christian? Are you in that season of struggle? Are you isolated in a cave? Do you feel the enemy oppressing you this morning? I want to challenge you to believe that God wants to bring you victory. I want to challenge you this morning to believe that God wants to show himself strong in your life. I want to challenge you today to believe that God truly does work all things together for good. And that's not always what we think is good, but what he knows to be good. And I want us to believe that no matter what God does, that it's going to be okay. Hey, David penned this psalm, and the the rest of the story could have been 15 minutes later, Saul came in and had his way. David still penned the psalm. David still showed the faith. Hey, listen, we must be okay with whatever God decides. Can we declare our victory? Because your name is victory as we sung about this morning. I want to give us four applications and conclusion today that I believe will help us. First, I want us to understand that when faced with spiritual opposition, we must first seek our Creator and our Savior. When you're experiencing spiritual opposition, God does not need to be your last, your, your final straw. He doesn't need to be your last call. He needs to be first. David cried out to the Lord. I'm all for self-help books. I'm all for uh, psychologists that can help us. I'm all for uh, different types of therapy and things. 
In fact, I wish, I think some of us probably need to do more of that than we do. But can I say, seek first? Seek first your Heavenly Father. Seek first your Lord and Savior. Seek first. You will find answers through Him, not outside of Him. You'll find your answers through Him, but not outside of Him. Secondly, just application, practically, what can we take? What can we take away? Secondly, we must take care of our inner selves. David was isolated in his spirit, and it was, he was overwhelmed in his spirit. And let me just say this this morning. If you were in a state of being overwhelmed in your spirit, I want to beg you to get help. I want to beg you to take the steps that you need, both spiritually and emotionally, physically, to take care of your inner self. Because on the outside, we probably all think everything's fine. But you know on the inside that it isn't. And I want to beg you to get help. Just this week, I've had someone reach out to me from the other side of the state about somebody that they know and that I know, not related to our church at all. He said, I'm really concerned about their mental state. Can we try to figure out a way to reach out to this person? Take care of your inner self. Thirdly, just a practical application. We must recognize who our enemy is and who our enemy is not. Maybe that's your takeaway today. Maybe you've been blaming who you're married to for your problems. It's kind of easy sometimes. Can we be for real? Once again, this is Sunday. You've got to be honest. Uh, it's pretty easy sometimes. It's pretty easy to blame sometimes the people we're closest to. We must recognize who our enemy is and our enemy is not. Your enemy is not your boss tomorrow when you go into work. It's not. I don't care how rude he or she is. I don't care uh, how much they mistreat you. I, I, I don't care. Your enemy is not flesh and blood. Your enemy is spiritual. And it is Satan. He uses flesh and blood. He uses people. But he is your source as your enemy. And then lastly, practically applying it today. Have faith before you see the victory. Have faith before you see the victory. I'm a Duke basketball fan, and I know some of you are just turning me off right now as we close. It's okay. 1992, Chris Lawson's not here today. Praise the Lord for that. Y'all let him know I use this as an illustration, though. Justin, we may need to slip, uh, make this a little clip, and I'll send it to Chris. He's, he's recovering from surgery today. He's a big Kentucky fan. In 1992, Duke had only lost two basketball games. They had won the national title in 1991, and they were, they were number one in the country the entire year. Even the two games that they lost, it did not take them out of the number one ranking. They were not ranked number one the entire season in 1992. In the Elite Eight, they played Kentucky. Jamal Mashburn played on that team and others. And uh, they played Kentucky in 1992. And uh, little guard, I forget his name, for Kentucky. Duke is up by one. This little guard comes in the lane, throws up this crazy shot, and he nails it. He hits it, banks it in. And there is 2.1 seconds, I believe, on the clock, if I remember correctly. I was uh, 10 years, I was 9 years old at the time. But I can remember it pretty vividly. Um, 
<laughs> and they get in the huddle. They have to inbound the ball, one end of the court, and that's their basket on the way other end of the court. And it was a long ways away. It's further than this. This is a shorted gym, short gym. And they get in the huddle. And they say, I wasn't obviously there, but I'm basically part of the team, so I know this. Um, but uh, <laughs> they get in the huddle. And Coach K says, everybody listen. We're going to win this game. We're going to win this game. And then he looks at Grant Hill, who was going to inbound the ball. And he says, hey, Grant, can you make the pass? Can you make the pass? Yeah, coach, I can make the pass. He looks at Christian Leitner, greatest basketball player, player to ever play college basketball. Don't, don't argue. Um, but uh, he was also a big jerk, but that's okay. I still love him. Um, Christian, if Grant can make the pass, can you make the catch? Yeah, coach, if he makes the pass, I can catch it. Okay, Christian, after you catch it, can you turn and can you hit the shot? Coach, if he can make the pass, and if I can make the catch cleanly, then I'm confident I can turn and make the shot. And the rest is history. It's commonly referred to as the shot. It was a long pass all the way down to the uh, opposing free throw line. And Christian Leitner grabs it and he fakes one way and the defender just kind of stands there. He fakes this way and he turns and he drains the shot. And you see them go wild. But in the interviews afterwards, you hear them say, the first thing, when they ask, what did Coach K tell you? The first thing he said when we got in the huddle was, we're going to win this game. Two seconds left, and you got to go the entire end of the court. We're going to win this game. Well, can I say this? Some of us need to declare, no matter how bad our circumstances, 2.1 seconds going all the way to the end, no matter how bad our physical or spiritual circumstances, the devil has put us down and put us down and put us down and put us down. Hey, listen, we're, we're going to win this game. We're going to win this game. Listen, I can, I, can, I can kneel and pray. I can do that. Hey, I can, you know what? If I can kneel and pray, then certainly in my prayer, I can, I can surrender my spirit. I can surrender my spirit to God. Well, if I can kneel in prayer and I can surrender myself to God, then certainly I can get back up off my knees. I can stand on my feet and I can, I can live in a, in a godly way with the Holy Spirit's help. Certainly, I, I can do that. I can win this. Hey, listen, if you find yourself in a cave this morning, isolated, struggling, declare the victory in faith. Because without faith, it is impossible to please Him. In faith. As we all know the rest of the story, David claims his victory. He is crowned king after Saul's death. And while David has his difficulties in his relationship with Bathsheba, the murder of her husband and David's sons and all these different family members that were messed up, at the end of the day, David was called a man after God's own heart. The rest of the story is that God greatly used David. That God mightily used David. That God brought the, the, the nation of, uh, of Israel into an amazing time under the rule of King David. 
Now, can I say this? God has a victory for you. Can we, be, can we begin to believe it by faith? I spoke to Christians today. If you're here, that same word faith is what it requires to become a believer in Jesus. The sermon today was not necessarily a salvation sermon. But I would be wrong to leave us talking about faith and not mentioning faith in Jesus Christ. If you're here today and you do not know that Jesus is your Lord and personal Savior. There's never been a time in your life where you've repented of your sin and put your faith and trust and belief in Jesus Christ. Today can be that day. You see, the gospel, the good news is simply this. It begins with bad news, that you're a sinner. For all have sinned, come short of the glory of God. You're a sinner as much as I'm a sinner. The ground is level. You're no better of a sinner than I am, and I'm no better of a sinner than you are. The wages of sin is, is death. The payment, the penalty of sin It is death, and that's not a physical death because we will all die a physical death. But the penalty, the payment of our sin is a spiritual death. It is, it literally means, that word death literally means a separation from God. So because we were sinners, our penalty is to be separated from God in our sin. That's only fair. He's perfect, and he cannot even look upon sin. In fact, when Jesus became sin on the cross, God had to turn his back away from his own son. He can't even look upon sin. But we're sinners and our payment for our sin is to be separated from God eternally in a place that's called hell. But God, Romans 5, 8, demonstrated his love toward us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. You see, you deserved to die. There was a spiritual warrant for your execution, death. And Jesus came and he lived on this earth. He lived a life that you and I couldn't live as a perfect life, a sinless life. But then he died the death that you deserved and that I deserved to die. A death on the cross. He didn't stay on that cross. He was taken down. He was buried. But three days later, he rose again. And we celebrate that on Easter Sunday every year. We celebrate it every Sunday as every Sunday is a resurrection Sunday. He did that to save your eternal soul. He did that not to just send you to heaven one day. He did that for the Holy Spirit to come into your life right now and to change you from the inside out right now. He came to give you salvation and hope and freedom and liberty. Today, it requires faith. It requires faith, not just a head knowledge of Jesus, but a heart faith in Jesus. Can I ask you today, if you have never accepted the free gift for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life, and it is through Jesus. It is not through your church attendance. I don't care if you grew up in church. could care less. I've told you this before. My first memory ever is in a church nursery eating Cheerios. And I told you all before they weren't even honey nut. It was a nasty, plain Cheerios. It's my first ever memory as a kid. I was in, you're talking about growing up in church, man. I was in a pastor's home. I was in church like my second week alive, and I don't think I've missed a Sunday in like a long time. I don't care how much money you give. I'm not being prideful as far as based upon what we make and what we give. I'll, I'll throw, I'll let you, I'll compare if y'all want. It's not about how much money you give. You care less how much money you give. It's not about how much you do for charity. It's not how nice you are. It's not about do your goods outweigh your bads. Why? Because you always have bads. No, it's about Jesus. And it's about have you fully given your heart and your life to him. 
in full repentance and belief. Heavenly Father, be with us this morning. If you're here today and you say, Josh, I have never given my heart and my life to Jesus Christ for salvation. I don't know what it feels like to have a personal, real relationship with Jesus. Yeah, yeah, I've been to church. I, I've been, I get that. I, I've, I, know, I know a little bit. You know what? I, I try to be a good person. I mean, I try to be kind to my friends. I, I even try to be kind every now and then to people that get on my nerves. I try to give a little bit as much as I can. I'll throw a 20 every now and then. But today I realize that none of that matters if I don't have a personal relationship with Jesus. If you're here today and you say, Josh, that's me. I want a personal relationship with Jesus. I want that. I want it to be real. I want it to be authentic. I want a personal relationship with Jesus. If that's you here today, would you... I'm not going to ask you to say a word. I'm not going to ask you to stand up. I'm not going to ask you to do anything other than, would you lift your hand and put it right beside your head and then take it right back down? The only thing you'd be signifying by doing that is saying, Josh, would you pray for me? Because I I do want a personal relationship with Jesus. If that's you here today, would you slip your hand up and just take it right back down? We just want to pray for you. Nothing more than nothing less. Christians... We're here today in a quiet moment with our heads bowed and our eyes closed. Are you isolated? Have you felt, have you let life take you to a cave? Do you feel like you're all alone, even though there's busyness all around you? I want to invite you today to let go of whatever it is the devil's working in your heart and allow God to wrap his arms around you. I don't know your struggle today. I don't know what it is, but I know this. I know that God, almighty creator God, loves you. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to stand and sing. We're going to sing a song that one of the songs I believe that we already sang. We're going to sing another song this morning. While everyone else is singing, what you may need to do is just stay in your seat and, and talk to God in prayer. What you might need to do is maybe even take a step out. We have an awkward kind of front here, but that's fine. Maybe you need to take a step out and come forward at the front of the stage and, and just kneel on your knees and pray and, 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 and talk to God. Tell Him whatever it is that's on your heart that He spoke to you about today in the sermon. This has been the preaching podcast from Keystone Church and Pastor Josh Cox. For more information about Keystone Church, visit keystonerdu.church. Please subscribe to hear future messages. Thank you.